I'm going to invite Madeline to read us our gospel reading, which is Luke 8, verses 40 to 48. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. So two-thirds of the miracles described in the Gospels are to do with healing. And those who approached Jesus with faith always received forgiveness, healing, and restoration. And today we've heard about a woman who had this bleeding condition for 12 years, uh, who was healed just by reaching out and touching the hem of Jesus's cloak. On the same day, Jesus raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. Now, we didn't read that far on, but this uh, synagogue leader's daughter uh, that Jesus went to, uh, to, to heal had actually died in the meantime, and Jesus later raised her. So in one day, Jesus had physical contact with uh, a woman who had this bleeding condition, and uh, with a dead girl. And before we go on, we need to understand how this would be viewed from a Jewish perspective. Uh, in the modern world, we know a lot about hygiene, don't we? Uh, we know about germs and bacteria and infections. And since COVID, we've all been super careful with hand washing and sanitizing and doing all we can to prevent the spread of germs. In the ancient world, they didn't have any knowledge about these things at all. Uh, but the Jews had very strict purity laws, which we mostly find in the books of Leviticus and Numbers. And yes, these laws were primarily intended to set the Jews apart from the surrounding nations. Uh, but in a world without soap, sanitizer, or running water, purity laws were an important way of maintaining public health. Some of the laws are a bit strange, and if you're familiar with uh, Leviticus and Numbers, you will know that uh, that's the case. But with many of them, it's easy to see how they would have helped to reduce the spread of infection and disease. Uh, so let's look at the laws that apply to the people that Jesus had contact with in today's reading. Firstly, uh, this woman who had suffered with bleeding for 12 years. Leviticus 15.19 says this. It says, when a woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. 
So again, it might seem a bit strange to us, but when you look at it in the context of all the purity laws, uh, there is some sort of practical uh, reasons for these things as well as uh, the spiritual side of it. Um, so when this woman touched Jesus's cloak, uh, that would have been enough to make him unclean, and then he couldn't have contact with anyone else for the rest of the day. Uh, then we have the purity laws around corpses. Uh, Numbers 19.11 says, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. So the law around uh, dead bodies was even stricter, and uh, we can probably understand why. And in both cases, uh, the laws were a lot more complex than this. I've just picked a, a key verse for each of them uh, to, to, to make the point that from a Jewish perspective, Jesus would have been doubly unclean on this particular day. But when Jesus touched someone who was unclean, that person didn't contaminate him. Uh, that didn't make Jesus unclean. In every case, when Jesus touched someone, when he laid his hand on them, it's the person that Jesus made clean and not the other way around. It just goes to show that Jesus was the complete fulfillment of the Jewish law. So Jesus and his disciples had returned from the other side of the lake. And from last week, you'll probably remember that uh, Jesus uh, and the disciples had sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, uh, which was a Gentile area. And in that place, Jesus had delivered a demon-possessed man, and the demons ran into the herd of the pigs. Uh, and But now they've returned. And it doesn't mention Capernaum, but almost certainly they've re- returned to Capernaum, and they're met by a large crowd that includes um, the synagogue leader uh, whose 12-year-old daughter was desperately ill on the verge of death. Um, the, the, the leader uh, of the synagogue, Jairus, was, of course, distraught, and he pleaded with Jesus to come and save his daughter. And Jesus was on his way to go and do that when he got distracted. A woman who had been bleeding for 12 years came up and she touched the edge of Jesus's cloak. She thought, if I can just touch his cloak, then maybe I'll be healed. Of course, she, she didn't feel able to approach Jesus and uh, ask him about this, uh, uh, ask him for help. Um, we can understand that. It's a very different context to today. Uh, she was a woman, and woman, women were viewed very differently in that culture. She was unclean, and uh, the condition that she had probably made her feel extremely self-conscious. Uh, she probably thought that Jesus wouldn't want to engage with her, that he wouldn't have time to engage with her. After all, he was on his way to heal the synagogue Lord, do, uh, leader's daughter. Um, you know, so that's an important engagement that Jesus had. Why would he have time for her? Uh, well, she was wrong. Uh, Jesus did want to engage with her. Jesus did want to make time for her. When she touched Jesus's cloak, she was healed immediately and she knew it. And in that same moment, Jesus felt power go out for him from him and he asked who touched me you know sometimes i think we forget that jesus was fully human yes he was and is god uh, but in taking on flesh in becoming uh, a, a human into coming into this world as a human being god limited himself god restricted himself it's often called the self-limitation of god 
You know, we, we tend to imagine that Jesus could read people's minds, uh, that he had full access to God's omniscience, his all-knowingness, and it doesn't look like he did. I mean, on this occasion, he doesn't even know who it is that he's healed, which is why he says, who touched me? And it must have seemed like a very strange question under the circumstances, because there's a large jostling crowd trying to get close to Jesus, pressing in on him. There must have been loads of people who touched him, who made contact with him. And it's funny, it says, when they all denied it. So they're all pushing and shoving around Jesus, and Jesus says, who touched me? Like, it wasn't me, I didn't do it, I didn't get near him, but they, they obviously have. Uh, it's almost comical. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. I felt the power go out of me. And the woman, recognizing that she couldn't go unnoticed any longer, uh, she came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. And with the crowd all around her, she explained why she had touched Jesus and how she'd been instantly healed. Talking about a very personal medical problem in front of a crowd of people would not have been an easy thing to do. She may still have been wondering how Jesus would receive her. And she's probably overwhelmed with the emotion of finally being healed. It's not surprising that she came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. Absolutely overwhelming situation. But she needn't have worried about how Jesus would receive her. As always, he was filled with love and compassion. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, this is the only recorded occasion of Jesus addressing a woman as daughter. Of course, we don't know how old this woman was. When I've read this in the past, actually, I've always assumed an older woman. But now I've been going through this again, I'm thinking that probably wasn't the case. This woman may well have been in her mid-twenties. And it's always interesting to see how Jesus treated women. Uh, and, and this is a good time to bring it up because Luke highlights the role of women more than any of the other gospel writers. Jesus was not afraid to break the social taboos of his time. Uh, he engaged with a Gentile woman, a non-Jewish woman. That is something that no Jewish man would ever have done, have that kind of conversation with a non-Jewish woman. Uh, he allowed a former prostitute to wash his feet he encouraged a woman to sit at his feet when he was teaching. Now, uh, girls generally didn't receive any kind of formal education. They certainly wouldn't have been given the, uh, the best seat when a rabbi was teaching. But Jesus didn't care about that. And Jesus was willing to give his time to a woman who would have been ostracized as a permanently unclean person. For Jesus, men and women held equal value. And he treated women with a level of respect uh, that was almost unheard of in that culture. He treated them like daughters and sisters and mothers. And this is a great example uh, to Christian men when it comes to our interactions with women, especially those within the church. We're meant to treat them as uh, daughters and sisters and mothers. And this particular woman must have been completely overwhelmed, not just because she'd been healed, but because Jesus was taking an interest in her. He was taking time out to, to uh, address uh, her need. 
For 12 years, she'd been an outcast. No one would go near her. She was unclean, and she suffered enormously. Actually, this same story is uh, mentioned in Mark's gospel. Mark gives a few more details. He tells us this. He says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Luke, who was himself a doctor, uh, chose not to include this detail. Uh, I think we can probably imagine why it doesn't particularly portray doctors uh, in a good light. She'd spent all her money on doctors. They, she made, she was worse. And I shudder to think of the horrendous treatments that may have been prescribed uh, to a woman with this kind of condition in the first century. Uh, this woman had put her faith in doctors. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. She just got worse, and she'd spent all her money on treatment. In 21st century Australia, good health is a precious and somewhat fragile commodity. How much more so in first century Palestine? Uh, in that culture, there was no booper, no Medicare, no health insurance, no medical facilities, uh, no medication uh, that was scientifically proven or actually worked of any sort. Uh, if you got seriously ill, in most cases, utter poverty would follow close behind. This woman had suffered terribly for 12 years. She'd exhausted all her financial resources on who knows how many treatments, but she only got worse. In the end, it was the simplest thing, reaching out and touching Jesus' cloak that healed her. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? I wonder if there's something that you're suffering with, or not necessarily suffering, but uh, something that you're struggling with. It doesn't have to be physical. It could be a difficult relationship. It could be depression. It could be a problem at work. It could be a persistent sin that you can't seem to break free of. And if you don't feel like you're struggling with anything right now, well, you can bank this for the future because none of us will sail through life uh, without struggling from time to time. Uh, but for those of us who are struggling with something, uh, let's just bring that thing to the front of our minds for a moment. What is the thing that we're most struggling with? And how long has this thing been a problem? A few weeks? Months? Years? 12 years? Longer? The chances are, if it's something we've been dealing with for a very long time, it's become a huge problem in our minds. And it may well be a very serious problem. I'm not downplaying it. But there's a danger in this thing becoming so all-consuming, so vast, that we think that we need a fantastical solution, or worse still, we resign ourselves to the fact that our situation can never change, this thing uh, po can't possibly uh, change, even our perspective on it can't change. We might even think that reaching out to Jesus through prayer and uh, reading the Bible through worship is kind of mundane and ordinary. You know, kind of, well, 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 that's okay for other people, but my problem is going to take a lot more than that. And don't hear me wrong. The, some of the, well, some of the things that we face in life may require the intervention of a counselor or a doctor or a surgeon or a physiotherapist or a psychologist or a financial advisor or whoever it is. And of course, God can 
and does work through such people. But ultimately, we should not be trying to deal with anything without reaching out to Jesus, reaching out to Jesus every day. I recently had a a Zoom conversation with uh, a man in another country who's struggling to break an addiction, and I've been talking with him about this, and he told me that he signed up for a course of therapy, and I said, that is great. Uh, Make sure you go through with that, and I encouraged him. So that's a good thing to do. But I said, there are some other things that we need to look at as well. I said, are you praying about this every day? And he said, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm praying about this. And I said, um, when you get tempted, do you read the Bible? When you feel that temptation, do you go to God's word at that moment? Uh, because, for example, the book of Psalms can be really helpful with this kind of thing. He said, no, to be honest, I don't read the Bible much. So I said, well, you know, in Galatians 5, it says that the word of God is... The sword of the Spirit. So right now, it's like you're going into battle completely unarmed and then wondering why you're losing every time. And he said something really interesting. He said, yeah, but the, 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 but the problem has got so big that I feel like I need something more than just praying and reading the Bible. But when we talk further, it turned out that he has never used the Bible to try and... Uh, counteract the temptations that he is faced with. Earlier in this series, uh, we saw that Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. If Jesus calls upon the word of God when he's being tempted, how much more so do we? If Jesus needs to go to God's word to resist temptation, there's no way we're going to resist temptation without God's word. This is just one area, one struggle that we might uh, talk about. But let's bring this back to the passage. The woman had a serious problem. She'd suffered with bleeding for 12 years. She tried everything, and it only got worse. And in the end, it was the simplest thing, just reaching out to Jesus that healed her. And for us, when we're uh, suffering, when we're struggling, uh, we very often try everything but reaching out for Jesus. And you might say, surely not, we're Christians. We pray about everything. We always reach out to Jesus. I wish that were the case. You'd be surprised how many pastoral conversations I have with people who have been dealing with stuff, struggling with stuff, uh, often for many years. And I say, are you praying about this? Are you praying with other people? I say, no, not really. Are you reading your Bible every day? No, not really. And I know they're not in church because I don't see them very often. Imagine that that woman had thought, I've tried everything. My problem is just too big. What good will it do reaching out and touching Jesus' cloak? If she thought like that, she would have never experienced the healing power of Jesus. She would never have heard the living God address her personally as daughter and she would never be able to go anywhere in peace. When we face the trials and tribulations of life, the very first thing we should do is reach out to Jesus, not in a superficial way, you know, one little arrow prayer and think, okay, that, I mean, we're talking about fostering a relationship with Jesus, an ongoing relationship, where that becomes the most important thing in our lives. And then we allow Jesus to guide us through whatever it is that we're dealing with. 
Uh, the woman's faith is a great example to us. We, we don't need to do anything dramatic or far-fetched to see God's power in action. We just need to reach out to Jesus and keep reaching out to him on a daily basis. Now, that doesn't mean that if we pray and read our Bibles and come to church, then our problems are going to disappear. It doesn't mean that that thing that you brought to mind that you've been struggling with, perhaps for many years, you know, if you just try a bit harder uh, with uh, prayer and reading your Bible and, you know, coming to church a bit more, then that's going to fix it. I'm not saying that. It's not about trying harder. But reaching out to Jesus and fostering that relationship with Jesus does mean that we will have created or be in the process of creating the best possible foundations for overcoming whatever it is that we're dealing with. Some of the things that we have to deal with in life, we will deal with all the way through to the point where we meet with Jesus in person and then that thing will be no more. It will no longer be an issue. Some of the things that uh, we deal with in life, we deal with for a season. But what I'm saying here is we want the best possible foundation for dealing with that thing. And that is a close relationship with Jesus. If we pay lip service to that, you know, it's going to be much more difficult to cope with whatever it is that we're dealing with. And even if the thing, you know, if it's physical, if it's, if we're not healed, uh, if it's, uh, you know, a problem that can't be overcome, at the very least, reaching out to Jesus is going to help change our perspective and we can draw on the strength of Christ to help us through whatever it is that we're up against. The, wo- the woman forced her way through a bustling crowd just so that she could touch the hem of Jesus's cloak. We have much more immediate access to Jesus than that. We can reach out to Jesus anytime, any place through prayer in the knowledge that he has the power and the authority and the desire to help us. And then whatever form that help takes, we accept that that is uh, God's will for us and God will help us through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we recognize that there are all kinds of things uh, that we have to deal with in life. Emotional trauma, physical ailments and diseases and problems, relational difficulties, stress, pressure, work, so much gets thrown at us. And Father, we recognize that so often we try and muddle through, but without quite putting you at the center of our lives. Sometimes we're we're, we're aware of you, we, we believe we are Christians, but we don't quite manage to make you our number one priority. Father, help us to realize that this is the best way to build a foundation on which we can, we can cope and we can overcome whatever it is uh, that we're dealing with. We pray, Father, that you impress this upon us and help us with it and just help us to continue to grow and build our relationship with you so we get closer to you all the time so that we're in step with your spirit, we hear your voice 
We know your love for us, and we're aware of your presence each and every day, no matter what's happening. Um, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.